Eat him hot. Get ready for Thailand Gate. Lawfare against the NRA commences. Portland's mayor says rioters attempted murder. Pelosi doesn't give a darn about workers. And Biden clean up on aisle five. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters. With actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, my friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Honor and a privilege to have you as always. My oh my. It is August. We are closing in. I'm going to be saying this every day because I can't believe, first of all, this year it all feels like one long day. And second of all, we got an election ahead of us and we're skipping all the the usual stuff. We're not having the conventions. We're not having the rallies. It's just countdown days on the calendar until we have some kind of national referendum on whether or not we're going to vote for a senile old man. Democrats tell us is going to save the republic. Okay. What is the biggest fixation right now of the media? We, we got some important stuff to talk about today, but I want to start with something that's just more indicative of where our political culture stands at this moment in time. Uh, the, the, the lib journos, the liberal journalists out there, have been in a, in a state of, ooh, uh, a state of utter freakout over what President Trump said when he was reading off of a prompter. It was pretty remarkable stuff from them, not from him. People make mistakes reading off a prompter all the time. I can tell you this. Uh, it's a skill that people think they have until they try it for the first time. And then they're like reading off the prompter, uh, like really, you know, it's not as easy as you think. People assume now it's not a highly difficult skill. A lot of morons are news anchors, but it's not something you sit down and do the first time and you're good at it. And everyone thinks they will be. And they're not. And I, I thought it would be easier than it was the first time, first few times I did it. So reading off a prompter, whether you're a politician or a pundit or, or a news anchor or whatever, is a skill set. People make mistakes. And Trump made a mistake that the media is jumping on. Play clip 18, please. Shifting production to Thailand and to Vietnam. Thailand and Vietnam, two places that I like their leaders very much. They're very nice to us. Do they take advantage of the United States? Okay, so the guy read Thailand as Thailand. Who cares, right? These things happen all the time. First of all, after a few drinks, I love going to Thailand. Uh, but what, what's, the, what's the point of all this? Anything other than what I'm calling the Biden cleanup on aisle five. Anything other than the focus on what Joe Biden said yesterday. Because here's the difference. Trump read something off of a prompter and mispronounced it or he just this is a mistake. It's it's like when I'm doing live radio for five hours a day, which I do, and I I stammer or stumble or which is going to happen. It happens less with me than a lot of other radio hosts, but it does. It does happen. And that's just the way it is. But what Joe Biden said yesterday about how uh, unlike the black community, the Latino community has a lot of diverse ideas and opinions. Wow. Uh, the, the problem with Joe Biden saying that is that it was reflective of something that he really thinks. 
He figures the black community is going to vote 90% Democrat, and it doesn't matter what Joe Biden says. It doesn't matter what promises are made. It doesn't matter. They're going to vote 90% for Joe Biden. That's what he thinks. That's what he was saying. It's like Latino community. It's a little more of a, you know, some on our team, some aren't on our team with the Democrats and people have different views. And we can't take for granted the Latino vote the way the Democrats can, according to Biden, the black vote. Not a not a good moment for him. Uh, Remember, this is also the guy who told I I believe it was a fellow named uh, Charlemagne. Uh, that, that, you know, if you don't vote for me, quote, uh, you now he was speaking in the in the general sense. But Biden said, if you don't vote for me, you you ain't black was was what Joe Biden said. And, and I want to be very clear about this. Joe Biden is a buffoon and always has been. None of this is new. And unlike Trump, Trump actually says things that are insightful. They, they always talk about they, they, they say, oh, Trump is so dumb. And they, they make all these comments about how. You know, he's not he's not a reader and he doesn't know anything. OK, Trump destroyed the Republican opposition in the primary by giving them nicknames that you'd say, hmm, that's actually pretty clever. You know, ever since he called him little Marco or ever since he called him, you know, low energy Jeb, it was all over. Trump does have political instincts and abilities that are impressive, which is why he was able to win the presidential election against Hillary Clinton with the entire establishment of both parties, in a sense. I mean, there were the establishment of the Republican Party was really split. A lot of them didn't want Trump to win. Uh, That's why she was able. That's why he was able to defeat her. So with Trump, you get, yeah, he's a loose cannon, but he's still a cannon. And he still will sometimes have a direct hit on the opposition and say, wow, that was quite a shot. Look what he does with the media. He has single handedly and I hope forever changed our conversation about the national media and its biases and the way that it approaches its job. Call them fake news. Think of all the conservative pundits and websites and everything. Why didn't we start calling them fake news? Well, fake news was actually a reference initially to Russian disinformation that they thought was fooling Trump voters, and then Trump turned it around on them. So Trump has flashes of brilliance in politics. He does. I know libs would all scoff and sneer at that. Yeah, he's the president. And Hillary's not. Why is that? Because he does have an ability, right? He can cut through things. He has, when he is over the target, he is like nobody else. And he says the things that we all know in our core are true sometimes, not always. Look, when he's getting into the fights with Mika and Joe and all this stuff, you know, that's, you got to take all the Trump, you know, all the Trump comes together. But Joe has none of that. Does Joe Biden ever say anything? And you go, oh, that was really intelligent. Yeah, it's all, you know, it's like I read some notes about it, you know, and I was in, you know, you know, Chinese foreign policy and, you know, trade, free trade. It's got to be free. And, you know, there's a lot of trade going on with policy. Oh, yes. The foreign the foreign policy expert, Joe Biden, just just making sense of everything for us. You know, yeah, man, you got trade, you got free trade, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, come on, man, yeah, trade, you know, yeah. This is what they, this is what they elevate as so much more intelligent, worthwhile than what you have from President Trump, and it's laughable. So as I've said, Biden's buffoonery is really central 
to who he is. He says dumb things all the time and never says anything that's not just rote, political, boilerplate nonsense. You know, it's the, it's the stuff that you would expect if you handed if you handed a, you know, third tier staffer an assignment to write some talking points on something about a, on any policy issue for the Democrats. That's what Biden says. We're all supposed to go. Oh, it's so great. And for those who are going to say, well, at least you won't mispronounce Thailand. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, was Barack Obama the smartest president in the history of the United States? Democrats will often make the argument that, yes, he was, in fact, the most brilliant and, and, and not just not just in, in a in a political sense or or when it comes to his rhetorical skills. They mean his actual intellectual firepower supersedes all presidents before him. That's that's the belief of many Democrats I've spoken to. They really think that that uh, that Obama is head and shoulders above all presidents who came before him when it comes to being uh, effectively a genius that Obama's a genius. Um, well, here's the genius Obama in 2014 doing the same thing Trump is reading off of a prompter. Play 19. He and his wife, Dr. Sharon Malone, a nationally renowned ob have been great friends to Michelle and me for years. An ob A hex an ob Oh, you mean he read in a speech O-B-G-Y-N for obstetrician gynecologist um, as ob Made up a new word. It's like, hello, honey, you uh, think it's time to go see the ob Is our third son coming in a matter of months here? Or, you know, what's going on? The ob Say, okay, Buck, that's one time. Obama's still the most perfect and brilliant president in the history of our republic. Um, here's an even better one. I know some of you know what's coming. Play 20. One such translator was American of Haitian descent representative of the extraordinary work that our men and women in uniform do all around the world. Navy Corpsman Christian Bashar, and lying on a gurney aboard the USNS Comfort, a woman asked Christopher, where do you come from? What country? After my operation, she said, I will pray for that country. And in Creole, uh, Corpsman Bashard responded, in Tanzini, the United States of America. Now, why is this a more interesting, a more interesting uh, prompter flub? Because it wasn't a one time. It wasn't like he just read it because your eyes can do that. You know, you, you read something and you just go with it. And then when you say it, you'll change. That's what Trump said, Thailand. And then he said, Thailand. Uh, Obama read read Corbin as corpsman once, didn't correct himself, kept going and then read it as corpsman again. Because he doesn't know what a corpsman is. I, I don't know what else to tell you. Didn't, didn't know how to spell it. Didn't know what it was. So are, are we now going to play the game where we act like Trump's the only one who mispronounces things or that? Yeah, he has a very specific way, he has a very um, unique way of expressing himself sometimes. But with that unique way of expressing himself, the man does have true flashes of of political brilliance and insight. He does. I know everyone can, can laugh at that on the left. Why did he become president again? Because he just says things and communicates in a way that resonates with people. He was a one-man political campaign. It wasn't about endorsements and the machinery and the, and the donations or whatever. It was just Trump. But he says Thailand. 
and oh, it's hilarious. Ha ha ha. He doesn't know anything. Biden, Obama, go back. All presidents have these have these uh, moments. And perhaps if anything else, it's a good moment to remind ourselves that politicians are just people doing a job. And we hope they do a good one. Most of them don't. But the game the media is going to play to pretend that all of their criticisms of the of uh, Trump's intellect and his intellectual curiosity and his you know, uh, ability to, to read off a prompter, all of those things. They're just, to our, our recurring conversation about principles, they're going to pretend that none of that applies to Biden because they're frauds and they're hacks. So just get ready for that. So Thailand Gates is a thing now. I don't think anybody really is going to remember this on Monday. But it is important to them because it takes attention off of Biden's real gaffe yesterday. Um, and, and they're now going to go through the 24-hour struggle sh- uh, session in journalism, the 24 hours of, yeah, you know, Biden's comments raise questions. Time for introspection because of Biden's comments. When we all know if a Republican had said exactly word for word what Joe Biden said about Democrat voters, racist, get him out, not allowed to be in the public square, person should be ruined forever but with joe biden it's oh it's just joe yeah it's just joe all right you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast where is the uh trumpster going to accept the republican nomination right that's a thing that has to happen because the republican convention is not going to happen we got a pandemic going on. So the president put out there that maybe he's going to just accept it at the White House, maybe on the lawn in front of the White House. And Nancy Pelosi says it's very wrong for the president of the United States to degrade once again the White House, as he has done over and over again by saying he's going to completely politicize it is something that should be rejected out of hand. Yeah, sure. Sure, Will, Nancy. Oh, and others are even more upset. We got a country going through a pandemic, an economy that needs desperately to get up and running again instead of just stumbling along as it has been. And what does, um, among the biggest frauds in Democrat politics, Kirsten Gillibrand is like, Hillary, but younger, uh, what does she think needs to happen here? Oh, we need a lecture on how it's a violation of the Hatch Act. Play eight. I think it's an outrage. Uh, President Trump continues to demean his office. He continues to break norms. And if anyone helps him do his speech, it's in violation of the Hatch Act. So he may well be exempt. But again, to misuse federal resources uh, for political gain is something that we do not tolerate and is illegal in many respects. So I hope he does not choose to, again, cross that line, continue to undermine the office of the presidency, uh, by doing things that are inappropriate and uh, unethical. You remember when when Obama wore a tan suit and there there was all this there were all these jokes about like tan suit gate and how this was a huge no one really thought that it was a, a big deal. But there was the pretense that, oh, look at how Republicans make such a huge deal out of Obama wearing a tan suit. 
No, we didn't. I, 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 I was alive then. I was covering politics then. I was maybe a couple of weirdos did, but that's always true about anything. Tan Suitgate was the the libs projecting onto their opponents uh, the way that they approach things. And now we have this. Well, this has been true all along in the Trump presidency. Uh, that there is nothing that is too petty for them, nothing that is not an opportunity for He's, like, literally undermining the presidency. He's, like, literally, like, undermining it, like, so much. It's a, it's a violation of the Hatch Act. Only libs, only libs ever talk about the Hatch Act. I can tell you, it's true when I was in the CIA, too. Only the libs in the office were like, do you have a Reagan poster in your cubicle? You're not allowed. That's a violation of the Hatch Act. I'm like, is it? There's a president who's dead now. I can't have a Reagan po- you know. No, you can't. Oh, I don't know. If we could, if we could arrange a, I, I really mean it. If we could arrange an orderly, safe, and fair national divorce with the psycho libs, I think it would be best for everybody. I really do. We just we divide up the country in half. They can do. They can do all the social justice and blah 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 stuff they want. You know, they can eliminate gender. And defund police, and they can all go to one. And then everybody else who believes that there is objective truth, and they like law and order, and contracts should be honored, and you know the law should apply to you irrespective of race, race, uh, ethnicity, skin color, origin, religion, yada yada. Um, you can go to the other place. That would be great, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Be too, be too complicated because they need us. They need. They need the uh, Republican mentality or else they would just devolve into absolute chaos. But we we don't get any we don't get any thanks from them. And instead, what we get is it's a violation of the Hatch Act. It's not a violation of the Hatch Act. If you want to know, in 1979, Jimmy Carter uh, deemed that a more lavish announcement would not be appropriate amid a crisis in which 50 Americans are being held hostage in Tehran. So he declared that he was running for re-election in a somber nine-minute ceremony in the East Room. As a candidate and uh, as president and as a candidate, I will continue to ask you to join me in looking squarely at the truth. Only by facing up to the world as it is can we lift ourselves towards a better future. Carter's campaign even made ads from the Oval Office. It's from the Washington Post. They're like, Gillibrand, um, you're not helping. Your analysis here went to law school, I believe. Your analysis here is so stupid that even we have to say, stop being so dumb. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team, what have I been telling you all along about the Democrat plan to beat Trump, right? And I know you agree with me, but we need to remind ourselves of this. That they'll do everything, anything. Whatever works doesn't matter. Whatever it takes, they will disregard any principle they will undermine any institution they will lie to your faces and smile while doing it doesn't matter right whatever they got to do they're going to do okay the democrat willingness to use prosecutors offices the power of prosecutors for political ends partisan political ends right trying to defeat their political opponents is really one of the most troubling uh trends in america today honestly because this starts to pull apart at the very foundational sense that we all have that there should be something. There are some things that are above politics. If your police and justice system are not above the partisan rancor and the weaponization of uh, weaponization against your political opponents, 
you start to devolve very quickly and, and you get closer to what you have in a lot of other countries, what we used to call the third world, where whoever's in charge of the security apparatus uses it against the political opposition. Even if they say they're having elections, they will go out, they'll arrest key fundraisers, they'll imprison key opposition figures, they'll do, oh, but we still have a democracy, right? That's Once you have that, you no longer have a democracy. You have a make-believe democracy. Now, we're not quite there yet. Obviously, the president's a Republican. I'm, I'm not trying to exaggerate the situation, but that is where the slippery slope leads. That is what eventually happens when you have the use of prosecutors' offices as a tool of partisan politics. And I've been telling you all along, they're going to they're going to bring back everything that they've done in the past against Trump. You're going to see it once more. You're going to see the accusations of sexual assault that never went anywhere and had no substantiation. You're going to see the uh, they'll probably start playing the Billy Bush tape again. They're going to they're going to play the Charlottesville, you know, good people on both sides lie. He didn't say that the neo-Nazis were good, but they're going to take the clip out of context and try to suggest that Trump likes white nationalists. Everything that we've been through comes back again. And on top of it, Trump is responsible for all of COVID. And, you know, that's we understand this is what they're uh, because what are they offering in in as an alternative? Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Yeah, man, I'm an alternative man. You know, you, uh, you know, don't be a, don't be a, you know, a junkie. Oh, yeah. OK. So. We know that this is an opportunity as well for any Democrat who has aspirations of higher office, any Democrat who wants to use their current position to elevate themselves in the national conversation in preparation for a, uh, a, a, a ladder position. Right. Um, we know that this is an opportunity for them. And so with that in mind, we have the announcement of New York Attorney General Leticia James who has filed a lawsuit against the National Rifle Association, the NRA. Play clip one. Just a few minutes ago, my office filed a lawsuit against the National Rifle Association to dissolve the organization in its entirety for years of self-dealing and illegal conduct that violate New York's charities law and undermine its own mission. To dissolve. To dissolve the NRA. Let, let's understand this. Her her allegation here, and, and I will say, I've heard some stuff about the NRA leadership that's not so good. I, I, I have heard from people. Now, I don't, I don't know. I don't, you know, I've never had any interaction with it. Most interaction I've ever had with the NRA is getting my, uh, you know, NRA membership card in the mail in the past, right? I, I don't, I'm sending them some money. I, I have, I don't even know if I'm still a member. I probably not. I think, I think my NRA dues have lapsed. I'm sorry to tell you. See, I tell you the truth. But I definitely have been an NRA member in the past. Uh, I think that there might have been, I don't know, some uh, unethical behavior from some of the leadership there. But I don't know. But I hear some of the stuff and I say for a nonprofit, maybe it's a little bit egregious. I, I don't know. But you're going to dissolve. The whole, think about this. She's saying she's not saying that, oh, guys, you know, the NRA, which is a lawfully constituted nonprofit group for a, a major issue of American policy uh, has had some people that are abusing it. And we want to get rid of that so that the rest of the NRA organization can continue to uh, operate in its in its lawful function and mission. That's not what she's saying. She's saying 
I want to get rid of the whole thing. I want to bring the whole thing down. Dissolve it. There is no more NRA. Now, let me just uh, start with, I, I don't think she's going to be successful in this. But put aside what the facts of this case are uh, at this point in time. The NRA has come back, of course, and said this is an absolute, uh, an absolute you know, nonsense. It's, a, it's, a, it's not true. You know, they're, they're on, on offense. Uh, President Trump has this to say about the NRA. Play 10. I just heard about that. That's a very terrible thing that just happened. I think the NRA should move to Texas and lead a very good and beautiful life. And I've told them that for a long time. I think they should move to Texas. Texas would be a great place or to another state of their choosing. But I would say that Texas would be a great place and an appropriate place for the NRA. This has been going on for a long time. They've been absolutely decimated by the cost of that lawsuit. And it's very sad, but I would suggest that that's what they should be doing. Texas as a home for the NRA sounds like a good idea to me, but this is now going to result in huge amounts of legal fees and what you have are the the endless coffers at least for lawyers purposes at the new york state attorney general's office to just sue and sue and and you know they're the government's lawyers get paid just for showing up and they need more money they just take it from the taxpayer right the government's lawyers they don't care they don't have to win all they have to do is bring the suit and letitia james looks like a hero I, i will say this about it the timing of this seems pretty convenient doesn't it she's been attacking the nra for years and here we are right at the at the the leap in a sense into the the final lap of the presidential election it's not just the presidential election right there congressional election elections all over the country election day 2020 baby it's gonna be big it's gonna be gonna be huge and letitia james brings a lawsuit to dissolve the NRA. Gosh, I wonder, I wonder if her own political biases influenced her as a prosecutor to bring this at this time. Hmm. Can we think this one through a little bit? Couldn't be, couldn't be any more obvious, right? Couldn't be any more clear what is going on here. We're very aware that this is a circumstance, a circumstance of obvious partisan targeting but she's going to end up uh, a winner in this whole thing not that she's going to win the the suit to dissolve the nra but now she's a hero to the left and you go back at previous occupants of the office she has as new york attorney general uh elliot spitzer among the most odious figures in american politics of the last 30 years or so uh schneiderman eric schneiderman a me too hero big hero to the me too movement until it turned out that he was a Me Too disaster himself. So the New York, New York Attorney General has certainly had some uh, unethical lib Democrat partisans in the past. But this, this is what we should expect. This is not the only one. You know, the ACLU, as of this week, is estimated to have, have uh, launched 400 lawsuits against the Trump administration or an issue of trump policy 400 lawsuits this is lawfare it doesn't matter how frivolous they are it doesn't matter that they won't win or that it's 
bad faith. The more bad faith, the better. It just shows the other side what you're willing to do, the lengths you're willing to go to, and the kind of firepower when it comes to the legal system that you have. The money you're willing to burn. They will try to bury the administration under paperwork if they can. Now, it's not going to work, but they're trying. That's the whole point of this. That's the purpose of this. And there have been some victories. There was a, The ACLU pushed for excluding the citizenship question off the census. Right? So there have been areas where they've been able to, uh, to stop the administration, to, to defeat the administration, which is, I mean, I, I, I deeply disagree with the citizenship question thing. They, that was decided on, well, we don't like Trump's re- He should be able to do it, but we don't like his reasoning on it. You know, the, the, the contortions that we've seen in law that are really just fancy ways of saying orange man bad, I don't like Trump, uh, have been mind-blowing. Have been mind-blowing. And I think we've also recognized when, when, when even Mike Pence is calling you out as a judge, as a Supreme Court justice, there's something wrong here. Play clip 17. We have great respect for the institution of the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, but Chief Justice John Roberts has been a disappointment to conservatives, whether it be the Obamacare decision or whether it be a spate of recent decisions all the way through. Uh, Calvary Chapel. It, it's just it's a reminder. And uh, I think several cases out of the Supreme Court are a reminder of just how important this election is for the future of the Supreme Court. Yep. All true. All true. John Roberts is a disappointment to conservatives. So there you have it, my friends. Uh, I think in part that results from the fact that Roberts doesn't like Trump. And he can't help himself. Even people that are supposed to be above the fray. Prosecutors, judges. Orange man bad is such a widespread mental illness in this country. It influences so much of people's judgment, of their, their view of things, their perspective, that at the, at the very top of, uh, of the heap of those in government who are supposed to be above that, we are seeing they are not. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Joe Biden this morning totally disparaged and insulted the black community. What he said is incredible. And I don't know what's going on with him, but it was a very insulting statement he made. And I guess you'll figure that out. You'll see it in a little while. But it was a great insult to the black community. I don't think anybody can really disagree with that statement. It was insulting, uh, but it's also more evidence because we're not even going to be told that the media will. You will not see any news stories about this by Monday, really within 24 hours. Today is clean up on clean up on Biden aisle five. That's all that that's all they're trying to do. That's the whole purpose of this. Oh, and, and also Thailand gate, right? Oh, the president said Thailand. He <laughs> hilarious. That's what's going to end up happening. Uh, but there are some very important differences that you get you would you would have if Biden were president today. And I think that's one way to understand what we're really seeing. And that's one way to, to view the current situation. Um, Biden, not just if he becomes president, but let's say Biden were in the role right now. What would be happening in this country? And, and here's here's the one that just for me is a reminder of how catastrophic this guy would be. Play clip five. 
So based on what Mr. you see now, would you roll back the reopenings? I'm not going to speculate on that because I don't know based on what, what you it's see going now. to be. What I see now, I think we today. are. If I were president, oh, I'm sorry. If I were president today, I would roll back the reopenings in a number of places because look, masks are. It's clear, masks and social distancing make a gigantic difference in terms of the spread of this disease. They're they're never going to stop. Lockdown Biden, they're, they're never going to. If only we masked and social distance. We can't do that forever. That's not that's not life. That's not society. You can't do this forever. We all agreed from the beginning that was crazy. And now this is what Democrats say we should be doing all the time. When they say social distance, th- th- there's there's a, a there's an, a world of difference between. I mean, I, I went in my my elevator in my building yesterday. I live in a large building with hundreds and hundreds of residents. I an elevator in my building and they have spots in the elevator you stand here you stand here this is this is becoming like a like a mental disorder no one's no one's paying attention to the spots on the floor in the elevator and there's no science to back up that if you're in an elevator with somebody and you're an extra six inches away from them you're not going to be exposed to this virus this is crazy but this is what we're being told by people who just you know there was the uh, the movie forgetting sarah marshall it's a Friday, so I'm going to lean into this one for a second. There, there's the movie, uh, movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and it's a very good movie. Um, I like it. I mean, there's, it's a little crass, and some of you, it's definitely not for kids, so, you know, 18 plus only. But I, I think it's a funny movie. I, I enjoy it. And it's the only good thing I've ever seen that guy, uh, Russell Brandon. Everything else I've ever seen him do is horrible, unfunny, and, and bad. But he's actually funny in that movie. And he plays a, a British rock star, pop star, whatever, and there's a whole song that I think is a, a kind of j- a gentle jab at liberals. It's just, we're going to do something. We're going to do something. It's like, yeah, th- that's what we've come down to. We're, we're just going to do something. Why aren't we doing something about this? We've done all these things that we're told to do. California has been mask central for a long time. Huge spike in coronavirus cases there. The disease is spreading all over the place. The virus spreads all over the place. We don't have a good mechanism to prevent this virus from generally spreading. The best thing we could do, if you're actually looking at data, is to really, not just social distance, to really separate out and protect and defend those who are at highest risk while the rest of us get to herd immunity. That's it. The only alternative to that is all this this you know make-believe science about how if we just listen more and we're going to wait for a vaccine uh the the lockdown libs they never they never retest their assumptions you know there there was a time when i i totally went along with it. i was man i was going out of my apartment here i had a i had a mask on all the time and i had the hands you know this is the early days of the pandemic in new york and i you know had the hand sanitizer bottle stuff and i, I was all ready to go i was doing all the things they told me and everyone I knew was doing the same thing. And the virus just ripped through New York cases. And for for months, we went through a six to eight week phase of just the virus spread. The virus came down. Didn't matter that we were social distancing, lockdown. The virus has a has a, a uh, within a week, really, you know, if you have it or not. I mean, they say 14 days of quarantine, but we should have every two weeks. You should be going through a new cycle of infection and see where you are, and the infections kept getting worse and worse and worse. How can the infections be getting worse and worse for 90 days almost when you are told that there's a total lockdown and everyone's wearing masks? 
They don't even try to answer this. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What Dr. Burks is saying is now is the time to accelerate the fundamental preventive measures that we all talk about. Masks, social distancing, avoiding crowds, outdoors greater than indoors, washing hands, etc. Those kind of simple things can actually prevent that uptick from becoming a surge. So she was warning the states and the cities to be careful because this is a predictor of trouble ahead. 15 days to slow the spread. That's what they said. Coming up on, it might even be today, 150 days to slow the spread. Half a year, folks. Half of a year, 100 days, uh, 150 days after we were told it was going to be just about two weeks. And what is the genius advice we get from our public health experts and intellectuals about what we need to do at this point? Masks, social distancing, avoiding crowds, outdoor, greater than indoor, wash hands, etc., etc. Somehow we've all been told this for months. We've been doing this for months and the virus is still spreading all over the place. Except in places where it has spread to such an extent that the, they've had the worst of the virus already. New York, New Jersey, some other, you know, Massachusetts, some other place in the Northeast. But everywhere else that hadn't been touched by the virus that much, uh, as, as badly, I should say, uh, hadn't been hit by it as badly, they're now going through it. And, and they want to tell us that if only masks, social distancing, avoiding crowds, outdoor greater than indoors. You know, this is, this is more or less the same advice that they were giving everybody in the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. Did that did that stop anything? Uh, now, I'm not saying don't take basic precautions and be, um, you know, pretend that, there, that we don't know anything about this and that epidemiologists have, have no understanding of, of the most basic aspects of this. Although there are some components of basic transmission that they do not understand. I mean, the fact that they can't really tell you what how if they're going to tell you masks are effective, but they can't tell you a single study that shows how effective they are. And what do they really know about them? Uh, that, that wouldn't be the case. I can't tell you that an antibiotic is, is effective without being able to show you trials and a percentage of how many people were cured by or helped by that antibiotic, right? But no, with masks, it's we just think so. There's no, there is no proof that this actually helps. There's none. Doesn't, I, I've never seen it. This is why you have countries in Europe that have said, look, the Netherlands... Uh, Sweden, look, we the mask wearing, we just don't see it, folks. People can do it if they want, if it makes them feel better. But notice they've also switched back and forth between the psychological benefits of mask wearing and the actual epidemiological benefits of mask wearing as if we're going to pretend those are the same things. There's actually an interesting study that I saw online of nurses in Canada during flu season, not during this COVID pandemic, during flu season, who were saying, why do we have to... They're being mandated to wear masks in the hospital, and they were, they were the, the Nurses Association or something of Canada, I forget what it was, was saying, uh, w- w- there's no evidence that this actually does anything during flu season. So, But we're being mandated to wear masks in the hospital all the time. So this isn't actually a new debate. People are going to pretend it's a new debate. This isn't actually just some right-wing conspiracy theory. Um, no, the, the, the face diapers that we're all told will save us uh, they have they have not they have not managed to save plenty of places that have adopted them with, with near uniformity. And there are places that never use them that are fine. 
but there's no explanation for it. We just get told the same things. I just wish that there would be some humility from the people that pretend that they have all the answers about this. Who have been wrong and wrong and wrong again. I've told you, I thought it would go down to the summer. It did for a little bit, then it didn't. So clearly there's some different seasonality to this than what you even have with influenza. That was that was something that surprised me. That was an area that a lot of us, I think, who have been trying to be guided by the not not proje- there's a difference between data and projections as well. Data is what has happened. You can look at it, you can you can measure it. Projections are what we think will happen. It's a world of difference. And so much of what has gone on here has been the usage of a projection and pretending that that's data. Now, that's just a prediction, right? If, if I'm going to buy a share of stock, I'm going to look at the price today. You can tell me what you think the share will be, uh, the, the price will be in six months. You might be right. You're probably going to be wrong. And, and, and I, I would gauge, you know, if, if I owned a share of stock today, I would gauge its value by what it can be sold for today, not what someone tells me it can be sold for in six months. With our, with our pandemic response here, from the very beginning, it was, oh my gosh, this is what the cases will look like. This is what's going to happen to hospitals. They, wrong. They were wrong all over the place. Oh, but we're looking at the data. No, you're extrapolating from data and adding a lot of variables you're not accounting for and then not going back to do an assumptions check, not going back to do a hot wash of why'd you get this thing so wrong? And there's also a panic, I think, among many people, and they're not open about this, but I think psychologically there is that if, if in fact, what we see is, is the downward slope in Arizona, the downward slope of cases in Texas, in Florida, which I do think is beginning, we might be a week to 10 days from it being very clear. If that happens, and it's not because of a huge change in policy, and the level of deaths in these places is a fraction per case of what it was in New York and New Jersey, the, the supposedly great examples of how to handle COVID. What does that say about the people that have been advocating for lockdowns all along? Lockdowns that I just saw today in, in Maine, the estimate is that 40% of independent small businesses have filed for bankruptcy. I saw that online today. 40 Have or will, I believe, file for bankruptcy. That's enormous. How many people have lost their livelihoods over decisions by the state that were rooted in politics and panic? They tell us it's rooted in the science, but Sweden never locked down. Do you know how many deaths they have a day in Sweden for the last week on average? One. Country of 10 million people. One death a day. Sweden is more or less where New York is right now. New York has 8 million people. New York City and the, and the, you know, some of the immediate environs. Eight million people, and we have two, three, four deaths a day. Some days zero. Is it because we did such a we're doing such a great job masking and social distancing here? No, we're actually in a less lockdown state than we were during the height of the pandemic in New York. So, does, does anyone want to try to make sense of these these incongruous data points? Anyone want to try to pull all this together? No, just mask. Social distance, wash your hands, and you bring the whole thing down. They don't have any answers, folks. They really don't. They don't know. That's the part of it they won't say. And I can tell you that even in dealings I've had with doctors before, they get very un- a lot of them get very uncomfortable with the recognition that they can't really do very much for you, they can't help you, and they don't know very much about what's going on. 
That, that knocks them out of their wheelhouse. And Fauci has shown us that there's really very little that he has to offer in a policy sense that is useful or, or helpful at this point. Right. We had all these lectures about how we need so much testing. And now we're told, well, you know, testing. We kind of missed it with that, you know, a little too slow on that. Didn't get it done. CDC messed up the original tests. Japan's a country of 130 million people. Never had mass testing and never had a huge uh, lethal outbreak of this disease. Australia, which we are told is, oh, look at how great they've been in Australia. You know what they're doing in Australia? Locking people in their homes, essentially. There's a curfew at night. This is in Melbourne now. There's a curfew at night. You, you have to stay in your home. You're, you're, there are all these super strict rules, and the state can check in on you at any time. And we're just like gliding toward tyranny, and people are like, oh, because they say they'll make us safe. Tyrants always say that there's a good reason for the tyranny. It's very rare they're like, yeah, I'm just going to ruin everyone's life because I want power. There's always some explanation. There's always some, oh, this is because we need this. It'll help you. It's for your own good. That should be the, the bumper sticker for tyrants throughout history. I'm doing these terrible things to you for your own good. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. They want more lockdowns. They want more compliance to the rules. You'd think that if the government's position was going to be that you got to do what they say, you got to give up living your life because everyone's so scared and everything's so awful and all the rest of it, you'd think that at least they would do their part to make sure, right, to make sure that we had the money we needed and, you know, all that, right, that they were getting the payments out to the workers who are unemployed. And all. No, Demo Democrats are going to Democrat. They, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, are using this moment of national pain as an opportunity to try to extract more concessions from Republicans. They, they want a trillion dollars. They haven't even spent a trillion dollars that was already appropriated. We'll talk about that in a second. But they're, they're going to pretend that they're the ones who are not holding hostages when we all know they are. They'll accuse Republicans of this is the classic Democrat, uh, classic Democrat ploy. Here's Pelosi. Nancy, Nancy Pelosi. Here she is saying that Republicans don't give a damn. Play four. Why can't you go across the aisle and say Representative Lewis, civil rights legend, would have loved it if we could do something for the totally disenfranchised in this country? No matter what, can we give can we give a huge monk, uh, chunk of money to the people who are disenfranchised, to minorities who have who want so badly to stay in business and can, and to people who who are trying to go to college or have student loans who are minorities who are the most affected because they had the least chance in our country. That. It's got to be something both sides can agree to. Perhaps you mistook them for somebody who gives a damn for what oh, you just geez. described. That's yeah, that's the problem. Perhaps you mistook them for somebody who gives a damn. That's that's right. I I you know you you know who really cares a lot about poor people? Chardonnay socialist Nancy Pelosi from from her mansion, flying private back and forth. To, to D.C. She's really, she's worth like 50 million and she really cares. Nancy, the, the greatest pretense of the Democrat Party's elites are that they care about 
the rabble at the bottom of the Democrat Party that keeps them in power. They could care less about workers. They look at them with disdain. They look at them as the peasants who have to bring the required, uh, the required portion of their harvest to the Lord, to their feudal Lord, right? That's Pelosi. Well, actually, what Pelosi does is promise to take from other peasants to give to the peasants that vote for Pelosi, but... Oh, yeah, perhaps you have a text for someone who gets it down. Okay, Nancy, sure. Meanwhile, uh, there, are, there is a gap here in the unemployment payments that are supposed to be going out to people who have been directly affected by the government policy to shut down businesses to prevent us from being able to do our job. So now the government's supposed to step in and support those who need it. Pelosi is using this as she has from the beginning of this. She's done this. This is the third time we've gone through this. Republicans are like, okay, look, we're in a crisis. Guys, we got to get money to people. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get now. I want a pony and a castle and a river of chocolate milk. What? That's right. Nancy making unreasonable demands at the expense of the American people. Judy Woodruff is a journo, and she made the mistake of pointing out during an interview with Nancy Pelosi that there's a problem with the Pelosi approach here. There's something wrong with the way Pelosi's doing things because there's money that already's that already's been appropriate. They haven't even spent all the money they've already gotten the government to agree to spend. And and it's so telling. It's really so illuminating. The way that Nancy Pelosi responds to this one. Play two. The other point Republicans are making is they are now showing flexibility in money for state and local governments. This is, again, a difference. Democrats want more money. Republicans want a lot less. They are saying they're willing to show flexibility. And they're also saying a lot of the money that was passed in the spring, Madam Speaker, has not even been spent yet. Well, so if you want to be an advocate for them, there. Judy, if you want to be an advocate for them, no, I'm, let's know I'm, what the facts are. I'm playing are. devil's advocate no, here no, I, to ask you for your position. If you want to be an advocate for them, she like flips out at her. Why not answer the question? Oh, you're not. You're, Nancy's expecting Judy Woodruff, the journo. So she's expecting softball. She's expecting that Woodruff, as she would be 99 percent of the time, is just going to going to make sure that Nancy comes out of this looking like she's the good person and Republicans are the bad ones. Republicans are the in- Republicans are saying, let's get money to workers and we can negotiate everything else, but let's keep the money going. And Nancy is saying, no, the peasants will starve. Why? Because the more suffering, the more misery the Democrats impose upon the American people right now, the better for their election prospects. Democrats are at odds with the interests of the American people right now. Make America miserable again. The Democrat 2020 campaign, unofficial campaign slogan, or at least the campaign strategy. That's what we are going through. That's what we are seeing right now. And Pelosi is just one of many who are operating under that assumption that as long as things get worse, for everybody, things get better uh, for Democrats. Oh, Chuck Schumer. We can't leave him out of this as well. Look at who the... De- Can I just step... Look at the Democrats, who they elevate to positions of leadership. Schumer, Pelosi. People are shameless liars. Shameless, slimy politicians. Untrustworthy, unprincipled. Really? 
I mean, I, I mean that. There are some Democrats who are better than Pelosi and Schumer. Not like a lot better, but there are some that are better. But here, here's uh, Schumer, 16. The Trump administration and Senate Republicans have badly mauled the body politic, the American economy, and American health care. And we believe the patient needs a major operation while Republicans want to apply just a Band-Aid. We won't let them just pass the Band-Aid, go home, and leave America bleeding. It's that simple. That's the difference. That's the difference. There are huge problems out there. But so many of the Republicans don't want to do anything. Let's not spend any government money when people are hurting so badly. The president just dithers. This is the greatest crisis we've probably had in so many, so many years, and one of the five or six greatest crises America has ever had. And there is no leadership from the president. He says one thing one day, and another thing another day, and another thing another day. Schumer is such a fluid and capable liar, uh, and, and his dishonesty is, is truly of, of Herculean feet. It's, it's unbelievable the way that he's able to just stare into a camera all the time, which he loves to do, and just tell lies that are a benefit to the Democrat establishment. Uh, they always say that Trump has not shown leadership. This, this, is, this is the most brainless talking point that we've heard all year. What does that mean? He has not shown leadership. He's been on TV, pushing policies, using, getting PPE done, Defense Production Act, working with governors, deploying resources. I mean, I mean, you could say you don't like some of the leader, but to say he's not shown leadership, this is crazy. This is crazy. But this is their favorite. Oh, even back, I remember when I did Bill Maher's show in, what was it, February? It's, you know, he's not a leader and he lies. That's all they ever say. They're always right in whatever the issue is in their minds because Trump lies and he's not a leader. Oh, yeah. So let's put Biden. <laughs> let's put Biden in charge. That'll fix it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not the only one who laughs at the prospect of, Bi of Biden leadership, as, as Trump points out here. Uh, the Obama-Biden team on foreign policy was was disastrous. Play 13. Country called China. Have you ever heard of it? And the last administration did nothing as they kept on dumping washers into the U.S. market with impunity. The Obama-Biden administration was laughed at. They were a joke and they were perfectly happy to let China win. Your jobs disappear and your factory to close. And you know what it was like. I came through today and everybody was out there. Tremendous crowds. The Obama administration on foreign policy was so weak that even their most devoted flax really had a hard time. I, mean, I used to debate Obama people on foreign policy when I worked at CNN. Uh, I would debate them and, and they were remarkably, well, they were inept in general because, you know, they're silly enough to think that Obama Biden was a smart foreign policy team. So that shows you where their judgment is. But beyond that, uh, th they had very little ground to stand on. Syria, disaster. Iraq, disaster. Afghanistan, disaster. I mean, go through the list. China continued to make huge gains against us for all eight years of the Obama Biden administration. You know, really what you're you know, th there are a couple of things I've been saying about why Biden is appealing to Democrats. 
and and one that I've left off. I've said it, I think, before, but I should spend more time or I should give it more attention, is that for so many Democrats, this is just uh, their opportunity for what they see as the Obama third term. They really think of this as an Obama third term. And they're not they're not wrong, not only because this is Vice President Biden's chance to do what he you would think if he was actually a talented politician would have been, would have been able to pull off in 2016, which is uh, run for the presidency and, and win after having been vice president for eight years. Clearly, you know, that that's always forgotten now. Why was Hillary and not Biden the candidate the last time around? Right. Because everybody who was a Democrat knew that Biden didn't have it. But now that Hillary's clearly not going to be able to run again. Hello. I don't know. Maybe she will. I'm waiting in the closet. She could. She could just all of a sudden. But she's got uh, she's got Epstein witnesses to intimidate. I kid. I kid. No, come on. No, no, that's not. She's not doing that. Uh, right. Right, guys. Right. Tell me right that that's correct. So what do I think is happening here? Biden is the third term of the Obama administration. And in a sense, that's correct, because uh Biden will do what the Obama establishment. He'll bring in so much of the team. And that is why those who say that Susan Rice and not Kamala Harris will be Biden's VP. One of the big reasons for that is just the optics of the continuation of the Obama team. Right. Democrats want that world back. They think that Obama for eight years was great for the country. I look at it and I say, what exactly went well? What, What was so great? Slowest economic recovery since World War II, uh, the beginning of the BLM movement and race riots, the disaster in Syria, a lot of mass casualty terror attacks on U.S. soil. What was the uh, what exactly were we, you know, expansion of U.S. military operations and wars that have no end? I, I just I can't remember what was so great about the Obama Biden years. Nobody really seems able to uh, make a coherent case to me other than. Obama gave such amazing speeches. It was so amazing. Yeah, sure. So he will do whatever the establishment of the Democrat Party tells him to do. And that's part of the Obama term three, because it doesn't matter. That's what I'm saying. It could be a sack of potatoes instead of Joe Biden. It doesn't matter who's running. It doesn't matter who the individual is. As long as they're a part of that apparatus. That's why Bernie Sanders couldn't do it, because Bernie Sanders got his own ideas and is too honest about the Democrat Party's socialist project for America. So we've got uh, Trump saying exactly that exactly what what's what here, where, you know, he's really not running against Biden. He's running against the Democrat socialist statism of the left. And so we should frame this back and forth in that way. Play 12. We're running against a radical left ideology. Their messenger is Sleepy Joe. He doesn't know it's his message. He has no idea what the message is. But he's going to do whatever they tell him to do. You know it. Because uh, he's not all there. (laughs) Because he's not all there, Trump says. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. And, and don't ever forget that Obama and there was all this reporting on it that Obama even told Joe, you know, you don't have to do this, which is a polite way of saying you're really not up for this, man. You're really not up for this. But like I've said, it's the it's the El Cid candidacy. Remember El Cid, the uh, Spanish conquistador who 
or Ray Conquistador, uh, who was put on his horse even though he was dead, and they rode him out against the the Moorish, uh, the Moorish army, and scattered them. And then you know that that was like the last charge in the in the movie. Yeah, that's kind of the attitude here. It's like just push Biden out there and like send him out, and we got a candidate, and we'll figure out all the rest later on. Just bums me out too because as soon as we get through this COVID thing, uh, the which is going to take a bit a while longer. I don't think it's going to, you know, this is, we're pretty much locked into this until 2021. I think that's where we are. I think everybody kind of understands that. Now, some people say 2021 uh, summer. Some people say 2022. I mean, I think, I think by winter time, assuming that the vaccines are successful uh, that are out there, we'll be in a way, we'll be in a much better position Uh, But one of my major concerns is I don't think that the Democrats are going to think of this as just an emergency period where they took all these powers and we just sat around meekly and obeyed uh, that. And they'll never do that again. I think they'll say, oh, great. So we can just declare an emergency. We can have Democrat governors declare an emergency for whatever reason and then just start writing executive orders that can shut down your business, take away your constitutional rights, and people won't even complain about it. And the federal government won't step in to defend them. I, I think that's one of the big uh, one of the big complaints that I have. And, and I guess people just right now, a complaint against the federal government to many folks feels like a complaint against Trump. I don't see it that way. We should have federal lawsuits being brought. Protests are OK, but church service isn't. According to courts, according to courts, this is nuts. We should be suing. We should be trying to use the system for our rights and freedoms not just allowing democrats on a whim to take all of them away that's what has happened here my friends you see it you know i am uh, disappointed about all this but i i think that the if we do get past the pandemic in the way that i think we are getting past it then the trump economic policies and approach will be able to bring out all kinds of of real benefits for us um i, I think that we'll i i believe him what i'm trying to say when he says that we will be in an economic rocket ship when we get past this pandemic if Trump is still president. Uh, Play clip 11. We're reasserting American economic independence, and I've been doing that from the first day I came into office. To this end, a short time ago, I signed a new executive order to ensure that when it comes to essential medicines, we buy American. The executive order will require that U.S. government agencies purchase all essential medicines that we need from American sources. The executive order will also sweep away unnecessary regulatory barriers to domestic pharmaceutical production and support advanced manufacturing processes that will keep our drug prices low and allow American companies to compete on the world stage. When you hear Biden talk about the economy, share workers and, you know, the rich will get taxed more and more fair share or more. It's not going to make things better for anybody. There's no real there's no real strategy. The Democrat strategy is get into power and then take money from people you don't like and give it to money. uh, Give the money to people you do like more. Do more of that. That's the Democrat strategy. Oh, oh, and, and pretend that investments, meaning government taxation and then spending on favored constituencies or on pet projects, investing in innovation, because, yeah, that's really a place where you're going to see a lot of 
the, the efficiency in government spending, investing in innovation is going to make things better. Um, it's, it's a joke, my friends. It's not a funny one, but it continues to be a joke. That there's, there's no compelling reason to put Democrats in charge of the economy based on what we have seen and continue to see and hear. But Orange Man Bad, they think, is a very compelling talking point for people going into the election booth in 2020. So we'll see. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Whatever happened to the stormtroopers that Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats said were were fanning out across Portland and causing the violence? They're causing the violence. But the violence was there for two months before they arrived. The violence was there for many weeks before they even involved themselves in it. But somehow they were the cause of violence that predated them by a long time, uh, which I have to tell you, I think is a pretty stunning, um, pretty stunning trick that federal law enforcement was able to pull. Uh, You have Chad Wolf, acting DHS chief, who's saying, no, that's not true. They're not Gestapo or stormtroopers, Democrats. Play six. Let me briefly address several inaccurate statements offered by some events have played out in Portland. Our law enforcement officers are not an occupying force, and they are not serving as a general domestic security agency. They have been deployed for an extended period of time to one city, and that's Portland, and to protect federal properties. Our law enforcement officers are not stormtroopers, the Gestapo, or thugs. They are civil law enforcement officers who wear clearly marked uniforms, who are properly trained, who follow established law enforcement procedures and practices, and operate within their authorities. It's been suggested that our law enforcement officers should not be in Portland if not invited by state or local officials. And while our preference is always to partner with local and state law enforcement, enforcing federal law is not by invitation. Unlike local law enforcement, we cannot be directed to ignore criminal activity and actions. We will never shy away from our statutory duties. That's the truth of the situation. But you haven't heard a lot of that from the from the uh, from the media, have you? You're not you're not seeing such a focus on this. So when the federal law enforcement agents show up, what do CNN and the other frauds do? Oh, that's right. They start claiming the problem is the presence of the federal law enforcement officers, even though the riots have been happening for uh, over a month before they even got there. Mayor Ted Wheeler, Antifa's errand boy, mayor of Portland, he says the rioters are setting fire at a Portland police building. When they were doing that, they were trying to set fire to the e- in East Portland, a kind of a suburb just outside the city, I believe. Quote, you are attempting to commit murder. He said on a broadcast. That's right. Mayor Wheeler is saying, hey, guys, rioters, you're actually trying to kill people because they're trying to light a police station on fire that had people inside of it. Arson, attempted murder. How does CNN report on this? How do they refer to the people who are doing this stuff? Not even as protesters, but as demonstrators. You got you got to you got to just look at it in amazement, folks. Body armor, rubber bullets, pepper spray, images of unrest and violence against demonstrators are prompting questions about what police use to quell protests in cities. Yeah, that's right. The problem is the cops, you see. Democrats are nuts. 
nuts, completely insane. But they're never going to learn their lesson on this thing because they won't have to. Because there are enough white lib activist loons out there who really think that if we defunded cops or we got rid of police or we undermined police, things will become things will get better for anyone. It's not true. It's not reality. But this is this is their position. This is their point of view on it. And it's become mainstream among Democrats. It has become mainstream indeed. Um, but, oh, I saw this too. Feds discovered the most sophisticated tunnel in U.S. history along the U.S.-Mexico border. You know who I'm sure uh, business has been really good for during all this? The cartels. People are in despair. Um, there's such a, a clear... Um, sense that that there's no that a lot of people feel like they have no hope no future they lost their jobs they've lost their bit lost their businesses and now we see a 1300 foot underground passageway according to the new york post here stretching from arizona to mexico was just discovered federal agents calling it the most sophisticated such tunnel under the border in u.s history and ran from san luis arizona to san luis rio colorado in mexico had a ventilation system water lines electrical wiring a rail system and extensive reinforcement say it is the most sophisticated tunnel they have ever seen. Um, my friends, the we don't really have great numbers on it yet, but when you see the number of drug overdoses that have happened during this period of time and the lockdowns that are occurring and, and everything, uh, all of the costs that we have suffered from. Uh, yeah, Producer Mark says it sounds like something out of Breaking Bad. But we're not even paying attention to these other challenges that are going on right now. And, you know, the border gets so little, uh, so little focus because we're in the midst of a, of a political fight and covid panic sells for the media. They get a lot of clicks out of it. They blame it on Trump and the cop stuff. You know, they they won't. There's no reasoning with the unreasonable. I mean, you, you, I can sit here and, and go on at length about how people who talk about defunding the cops don't actually know what those in high crime neighborhoods want because they don't want defunding of cops. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They, they think they're on some kind of a, a holy mission. I mean, I really do think that, you know, that the modern Democrat Party has become a haven for people who uh, have really deep seated emotional and psychological problems, but they can latch on to these beliefs that Democrats that, that they're open about, that this is part of and and they don't feel like they're alone anymore and they feel like they're on the good guy side you know so defund cops uh, no well-adjusted intelligent person believes that that's a smart thing to say out loud but millions and millions of democrats do so what does that tell you what does that tell you mary well i think it tells you a lot Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, there's great video going around of Attorney General Barr uh, who stopped. He was going to some kind of meeting or something. He asked his FBI detail. Hold on a second, because he walked past a support the cops rally in, I guess it was in, I think, I actually forget where it was, uh, but he stop by and chatted with them and it was just nice to see uh, you know B bill barr i i'm a i'm a, a fan of his work for the administration that's that's for sure and i get people keep asking me do you think that there that he will do what is necessary with the durham probe i think that if durham gives him the goods 
he he would be willing to use it, but it will have to be ironclad, and I don't think he's going to have it. I just don't think Durham's going to. I know. I'm going to stop saying it because people say, Buck, come on. I try to tell you the truth about this stuff. Um, de Blasio is the worst mayor in America. And I know some of you don't live in uh, New York City. A lot, Most of you don't live in New York City. So you're like, why are we talking about de Blasio? Well, because he's a, a harbinger of things to come. A, a person who, because of demographic change in some states where you just have a Democrat str- uh, stronghold and there's really there's one party rule, there's no accountability, right? Because you're going to replace one Democrat with another Democrat. No one cares. And you, you have people like de Blasio in many places across the country. I actually just saw a, a thing. And where was this? This was in, in Austin, Texas. There's a bike shop, pretty well-known bike shop, that I think was founded by uh, Lance Armstrong. Uh, but in Austin, Texas, there's a there's a bike shop that is saying that it will no longer service bikes, uh, bikes that cops buy rent use basically they're not they're not their business is no longer going to help cops on bicycles wow austin i know we got a lot of folks in klbj land that that listen to the show and you see stuff like this and you've got to wonder don't don't they feel like frauds doing stuff like this don't they feel bad treating police badly when if the mob came outside their store we all know what they would do especially if they're libs who don't like cops because they're less likely to be armed they're going to call the cops, say, please help us right away. But the hypocrisy doesn't matter. They, they don't they don't care. Uh, they don't care about who is hurt in all of this. It just it feels too good to take these Democrat positions. It feels too uh, self-congratulatory to give that up. Speaking of all that stuff, de Blasio, back to de Blasio, uh, ruining New York, ruining America's largest cities, doing a fantastic job of destroying the city. Uh, here, here's what he's saying now. And look, I, I understand people are in a tough spot. I don't, I don't think that there should be unfair penalization of anybody who's lost their job or anything else because of the pandemic. But here's, here's what de Blasio's position on this stuff is. Play seven. The eviction moratorium expired at midnight last night. And that is a huge problem for the people of New York City, and it must be addressed. And I'm going to say again, in these next weeks, you're going to hear a lot from me calling upon our state government to create a new system to allow those who simply cannot pay for lack of income to be able to have a payment plan model that will take them into next year, allow them to pay off the rent over time when they finally have resources. But no one should be put out on the street because they can't pay. They literally can't pay. So while we're fighting that battle in Albany, right now I want to tell all New Yorkers who are threatened with eviction that if you need help, call 311 because we want to get you help. We can get you legal support. You know what would be really helpful if they stopped locking down the city and allowed people to go back to work and allowed businesses to open up and to have employees to hire new employees. That's the only way to solve this, to keep having mandates, to have government decrees that the economic system is just going to be frozen in place until they say so. That's not going to make this better. But. The problems here just keep mounting all the time here. He had on, on the Daily Mail, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really curious for the team other than BuckSexton.com, obviously, what conservative websites you, you like these days and, and where you like to go. I mean, ever since the fall of Drudge, Drudge is now uh, a trash heap. I mean, Drudge is is just ruining whatever it used to be. 
but as as we look at, at I'm, I'm trying to find sites that are out there that have interesting takes. I mean, I like the Federalist, but that's an opinion site, less a a news story site. The Daily Mail, which is a British tabloid, has really good stuff. I, I keep saying this; it's remarkable to me. The Daily Mail, the Daily Mail were the ones that got the George Floyd video. They were the ones that got the George Floyd video. And, and that you know, the early, the the first ten minutes, not the the nine minutes that we had already seen. And I understand. Producer Nick told me that the, the British papers will pay big bucks for things like that, which I suppose is why the Brits do sometimes manage to break some of these very big stories where there's just a, a, a video or something, you know, photos that are the story, essentially. But the Daily Mail has this piece because the, the Upper West Side, for those of you who don't know, is Upper, Upper West Side and Upper East Side are probably the fanciest parts, uh, residential parts of New York City. And a lot of people who work at CNN live on the Upper West Side. A lot of people who work in media live on the Upper West Side. Less so, but still also on the Upper East Side. They're, they're fancy, very, very uh, high net worth areas, you know, high net worth individuals living in these areas. And I've been saying that until the, the urban rot that is occurring, trash on the streets, junkies in open air, using needles on themselves... And this has happened in San Francisco, it's happened in Los Angeles, it's happened in New York. The cities are deteriorating because there's a Democrat mentality that, that there's some special right that people have to roll around, you know, shirtless with a heroin needle sticking out of their arm, screaming obscenities at women and small children as they walk past them. And, you know, cops are not allowed to, to take them for being you know, disorderly or, or harassment or anything else and try to get them help. No, just leave them better to leave them out of this and i see this with my own eyes i mean i'm not just this is happening outside my door as i talk to you but i live in midtown see i live where there are a lot of people that you know i live in what's really considered hell's kitchen uh, which is not a, a fancy neighborhood but it was convenient to my offices in midtown which is where a lot of people work and you know hell's kitchen it's obviously a name you go why do they no one really knows why they call it that it just sort of stuck i've, I've looked at the origins of this and there are all these different Internet-based theories. But Hell's Kitchen uh, is an area that has always had its fair share of, of grime and, and, and urban decay. But it's when it moves, when it, when it goes up, when all of a sudden Antifa is in the Hamptons, which is the fancy part of Long Island, the beach communities in Long Island where all the really rich people go in the summer here. When that happens, when there is that, then maybe they'll feel a little bit differently about it. And I see here the Upper West Side is starting to get a taste of this now. You know, the part this would be like the gated communities in Los Angeles and San Diego. You know, the rich areas dealing with the aggressive law breaking, you know, often deeply mentally and emotionally disturbed homeless population. Right. It's one thing when it's in downtown and people without a lot of money have to just deal with it. But when the rich people have to start dealing with it, you would think that maybe there would be a change in perception. Um, Upper West Side, this is the Daily Mail story. Upper West Side residents furious as homeless junkies and sex offenders are moved into three luxury New York City hotels and turn the area into a spectacle of public urination, catcalling, and brazen drug use. Yep junkies sex offenders 
screaming. And so if you live on the Upper West Side now, uh, you know, and your wife is going out to go get groceries or, you know, not not to say that that's what wives do. But you know what I mean? If, if, if she's going out uh, by herself, she's got and there's photos, too. She's got junkies, you know, shirtless, aggressive junkies screaming profanity. And, and I, I've had this here. I've had lunatics yelling at me in New York. For, for months now, and th- that's not entirely new, but it's gotten much worse. It's gotten much worse. You have open-air heroin use on Broadway, the most famous street in New York, in broad daylight. Broad daylight heroin use on Broadway. That's a change. But the, the, the problem right now with hoping... Oh, and they're turning these luxury hotels into uh, homeless shelters. That's what they're... The, the, the city's just saying, no, we're going to use your... We're going to designate this a place... Because you're you're on shutdown right now, you can't really operate your hotel. We're going to use this as a homeless shelter. Imagine what that's like if you live on that block. That's what people are starting to see now. So easy for Lib to say, "Oh no, we just want to we just want to help everybody," and that means that people should be able to do heroin in broad daylight. And they're you know they're just all, all that sort of very yeah. It's fine until it's you know your five year old that sees a guy uh, relieving himself on the street at two o'clock in the afternoon on a major city street as people i know have right it's fine until you're walking home and somebody is urinating on your front on your front door which has that's happened to me before on your front door as you're waiting to go in it then you start to feel a little different about these very left-wing policies in cities then the democrat mantra about how we really just need to focus on social justice and not enforcement of law feels a little different problem with the upper west side situation though is that the really rich people you know the ones who are like running cnn the ones who are calling the shots at the new york times at the very top they're all out in their summer places right now so it's those who have to work for a living. It's people that are still trying to pay the mortgage, have to keep their jobs, who are stuck dealing with this now. You know, they're the ones. Because in New York, you know, it's block to block. How big is your apartment? It's not like other places where there are rich and poor neighborhoods that are completely separated out quite the same way, although there is some of that too. Uh, you will have billionaires living a block away from people that are making you know, minimum wage, basically. I mean, you, you can have people that are very cl- in very close contact to each other um, who are in very different socioeconomic status. So there, there will, I think, be a reckoning with this eventually, but not until it's already uh, done a lot of damage. And you're seeing this all across the country. And I just hope that enough Americans pay attention to this going into Election Day and they, they punish this Democrat mentality where we're just not allowed to be safe and have decent lives and live in clean, nice, safe places. Democrats like, no, we all have to wallow in society's dysfunction and problems together, except super rich Democrats. They'll find a way on the private jet to go somewhere else. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I see CBS 46 down in Georgia has a University of Georgia students holding a die in protest at UGA because of the planned fall reopening. You know, you don't want to go. Don't go. You don't have to go to University of Georgia. You know, if you're so scared, stay home. But it's just too much fun to be a part of this die in R.I.P. campus safety. Oh, my gosh. 
I swear, uh, 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 the media in this, the media really is the enemy of the people in America. It's true. The, the mainstream media is the enemy of American health, prosperity, sanity, decency, uh, our, our media class. They are the Bolsheviks in this country. I mean, they are seeking to overturn and destroy at, for their own ends, and they will elevate themselves. They will not suffer as they make America suffer. But really, we, we need to declare an ideological war on the mainstream media uh, now more than ever. I mean, maybe we've already been waging that here on this show, but now more than ever. All right, let's get to some uh, roll call. Producer Mark, hit that funky roll call. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Starting off with the Instagram messages. If you're not following me on Instagram, please do. We post the Buck Brief there. I'm going to see Tallulah this weekend. I'll take some cute Tallulah photos. All kinds of fun content on the, on the gram. And it's just Buck Sexton. So let's get excited about that. And now let's get to our message requests. Here we go. William! Buck, no offense, but I'm actually hoping you lose your wager with Dr. Gorka, Sebastian Gorka here. He's great. I love Dr. G. My life has become a daily routine of fanciful daydreams, imagining James Comey, John Brennan, and James Clapper, among others, stumbling along in leg irons. This is the greatest political scandal in the history of the U.S., and it's about to be dismissed to the ash pile of history. As down as I, we feel at times... As for my part, I will crawl across broken glass to cast my ballot for Trump, and I'll do it with shields high. Keep the faith, friend. Well, William, I hope there are many, many people all across the country who share your sentiments on this. I certainly do. Um, that would be, it would be great. I, I, am, I am hopeful, my friend. I am hopeful. Uh, next one here... Someone wrote me, uh, Buck, can I send you some free Trump masks? Um, I appreciate the sentiment, but I don't I don't uh, need any more masks. I got a lot of masks and wearing a Trump mask in New York on the streets here is the equivalent of wearing a punch me in the face mask. So, yeah. I don't think we need it. Producer Mark, I don't want you to wear a punch me in the face mask either, so I won't give them to you. Hey, no, I'm okay. Yeah. Wearing a MAGA hat in New York City uh, is a is like putting a target on you. You, you couldn't you could not walk around in any kind of crowded area with a MAGA hat on and not have people hiss at you and say stuff to you and curse at you. And yet anybody could walk around here with Obama Biden stuff on or Hillary stuff or, you know, old man, Mr. Magoo Biden, Biden stuff, whatever, all of it. All of it. They, they could do any of that. And the expectation would always be that uh, that's fine. That you're not going to no one's going to come after you for that. There's not going to be a problem you have for that. Ryan. Ryan writes on Joe Rogan's podcast from today. They discuss Kamala Harris and how she purposely went ahead with wrongful convictions of innocent people while she was district attorney in San Francisco and California. 
Um, yeah, Ryan, I, I've heard about this before. And if Kamala becomes the candidate, I think this will be one of the main areas of of attack against against her. Uh, there are a few things I can think of that are more uh, odious, more problematic than a prosecutor putting innocent people in prison knowingly, knowingly doing it. Uh, that that to me is a level of moral disgrace and depravity that's that's truly hard to fathom. Uh, Reagan, great name. Hey, Buck, love the show. About a year ago, you had this author on your show who wrote about ancient history and also had a podcast. I know this may be a long shot, but you recall what his name was. Thanks and shields high. Um, Producer Mark, do we know she's talking about ancient history and also had a podcast? Was it Victor Davis Hanson? I don't think that's who she's talking. He writes a lot about ancient history. Sounds like before my time. Yeah. uh, Reagan, I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know who this is, but I appreciate you asking me. And if I figure it out, I'll let you know. Uh, JJ writes, Guten Tag, Herr Sexton. 100% agree with you. Lin-Manuel Miranda cannot sing. Hamilton is all hype. And the songs from Moana are neither memorable nor up to Disney's normal standards for music. Additionally, the Beatles and John Lennon are indeed overrated. Producer Mark, you are nearly always right when it comes to movies, but the buck has you beat on tunes. Thanks for keeping us safe and warm at night. Keep your shields and your treble clefts high. JJ. That might be the worst message we've ever received. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wait a second. Producer Mark, are you telling me that you don't like it when someone writes in to tell me that I'm right all the time and you're right a couple of times? What a shock. Well, no, it's not that. Like, I'm going to look past the Hamilton thing, but Moana is fantastic. It's one of my wife's favorite Disney movies. And to go after John Lennon and who else was the Beatles? Come on. You don't even need me to tell you that. She's totally right. She's too, you're, you're totally so right, wrong. J.J. Don't listen, don't listen. Producer Mark, don't listen. You know, Mark the Grouch over here. Don't listen to him. Uh, you know what? I'm sure a lot of our listeners are angry at that. Yeah, well, they can write, they can write it sure. or they can call in at no. 844-900-2825. 844-900 buck. That is producer Mark. Nah, I'm not listening to the voicemails anymore. No more of that. He 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 wants to spend all night, all the time listening to the voicemails. He loves it. Done. Um, okay, we got more here in the. Actually, no. Let's let's go into the Facebook uh, box and also the uh, email box. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com, Facebook.com/slash Buck Sexton. Yes, indeed. Roll call. Here it is. Matt kicks it off for this section. Buck, if it is too dangerous for schools to open, why haven't daycare shut down? I have two kids in daycare, and here in Wisconsin, they haven't been shut down once throughout all this. I think this has been the perfect small-scale experiment that proves it is safe for our kids and teachers to be in one building at the same time. I don't hear anyone talking about this either. Just a thought. Keep up the good work. Shields high. Matt, uh, yeah, I, I think that that shows you that it's safe for kids. It's just not safe for kids who have to be taught by teachers because the teachers unions don't want to have to do their job, but they want to still get paid, which doesn't surprise anybody who knows a whole lot about teachers unions. I will say I keep watching this mafia show and I always think, now, hey, the unions, but, they, you know, the guy's name like Fat Tony and uh, uh, what was his name? Um I'm trying to fat Tony's a very there's a whole bunch of like the five family godfather guys who have those nicknames 
And the, this mafia names are hilarious because they're exactly what you think. They're, they're exactly what you think they'll be. And what was it talking about the mafia for? Oh, yeah. The, the control they had over unions was amazing. Uh, yeah, that was a big part of it. I'm really enjoying this show on Netflix. I'm just telling you. Bosch is also phenomenal. I give Bosch an A minus just because I'm very, very strict with what shows I will give an A to. But it's an A minus show. Yeah, for me. That's very the first good. show you've ever said you liked. Really? Uh, probably not, but it's very you rare. Should che- you should check out, for sure, the Mafia Netflix thing. I think you'll enjoy that. You and yeah. Mrs. Mark, that's like fun viewing, because they do a very good job on it. And and Bosch is is fantastic. I, I also uh, I will right give now. them both a shot, for sure. Yeah, Amazon Amazon Prime. So if you've got Amazon Prime, that's what you need to watch Bosch. But uh, it goes, gets it done. All right. Next up here. Um, oh, no, sorry. But Matt, to finish up on this. Yeah, I think that it's clear that the the libs don't want schools to open because they want to beat Trump, not because they think it's really scary for kids to be in school. Some people do. Look, there are people who are terrified of this whole thing still. They 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 don't handle the possibility of the uncer- you know the uncertainty of an illness like this. They they're What's interesting is the people that are the most aggressive about this that I come across, that I see online or that, you know, I I just hear about anecdotally are not people who are at the highest risk from the disease. Cause you know, if you're 65, 70 years old and you want to have really strict precautions for yourself and, and you want extra help to make sure you're safe. I have, I totally understand that the people that are freaking out though. And that don't want anybody to school are like 30. They're like, Oh my gosh, they're like the UGA protest. These are college kids. They're going to be fine. They're all doing a die in. Cause UGA opened lunatics. Jim writes, you'll be proud to know, as of today, I'll be a Pure Talk USA user. What sold me wasn't the price so much as their hotspot matching service to a total amount of GBS remaining. My old service limited me to 10 gigs, no matter how much data I had left. Besides, I'll do anything to help or serve our armed, uh, help or serve our armed services, police or first responders. I'm a fire police officer myself. Shields high. Jim, God bless you, man. I think you're really going to love Pure Talk. I got Pure Talk, and uh, it's it's great customer service, great deal. You'll really enjoy it. So thank you so much, man. And also, when, when you do that, as I always say, whenever someone goes to one of our sponsor uh, URLs, and if they can use that product, I mean, all the products that we that we talk about here on the show, we have longstanding relationship. Well, we have a strong relationship. I should say some of them. We have a longstanding relationship with the brand. And they're great products. Uh, so please do check them out. And that's a way of keeping, you know, otherwise producer Mark is going to have to open the world's grouchiest music rental store or something where people ask him, what should I rent? And he's like, shut up. Right. We don't well, want that. what is a music rental store. Uh, I was thinking of a video rental store like the old days. Yeah. You know, did I say music rental? You though? did, which both of- don't apply in 2020. I kind of messed that one up. Yeah, yeah, but it would be like a throwback for you, though. You know? But but I, if I opened the business, wouldn't I want to make some money? That's probably true. I don't know. Let me. I, I'm curious if if you just if you just tomorrow your mandate in life was you were going to start a small business, just based on what you like or what well, what would it be? I mean, I guess before COVID, I always said uh, opening a bar like a sports bar would be cool. Sports bar, yeah. but now well, you know that might not be the best avenue. I, I mean, I would, I would try to go, I'd try to go small farm to table restaurant, but I know that's a super hard thing to pull off well yes. and stay in business and all that. But that's probably what I would, that's probably what I would do. Cause I'm not a big drinker. 
So I don't know how how good I am for the bar. I don't. Well, it wouldn't be you know a sports bar has food too, and I'd have awesome appetizers. What what would be if you if your sports bar was going to be known for one item on your sports bar menu? What would it have to be? One item that that brings them in. I can't say for sure the one item because I'm not a chef, but something mac and cheese related. Mac and cheese. Okay, so like a lobster mac and cheese or something like that. Like cool mac and cheese. A smoked Gruyere mac and cheese, perhaps. Maybe some mac and cheese balls. Because I'll say for me, when I and I've 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 had many many chicken wings. Um, for me, the the chicken wing, if it's really really good, is is a reason to go somewhere. But I will judge a place. I will judge a place based on its French fries, because oh, that's French fries are are pretty easy to do well, and there's no excuse for subpar French fries. I'm looking at you, In-N-Out Burger. No excuse wow. for your subpar French fries. I've never had In-N-Out, but what is your favorite French fry like type? Uh, I mean, I so I'm not a, a, a crinkle fry guy. Like Shake Shack does the crinkle fries, and Shake Shack fries are very tasty, though. So I give them, you know, I give them credit for at least having good tasting fries. Uh, producer Nick says he he loves General Tso's chicken wings. Oh, producer that sounds Nick, amazing. Chinese food is my weakness, man. If I want to gain weight, I just order Chinese food because I will I will put away a pound a pound and a half. Two pounds of that stuff like it's nothing. It's just I don't even want to know how many calories of Chinese food I can ingest. So I'm with you on the general so's chicken. That is my my weeks my weakness. Um but yeah, I think uh wait, were we talking about chicken wings a second ago? We were what talking about French fries, their favorite. Oh, French type. fries. Oh. Uh I can't have McDonald's fries because they use there's wheat in uh wow. the stock that they have for them or something. There's actually some wheat in the french fries which is really annoying but. yeah i surprisingly say wendy's fries are almost as good as mcdonald's i'm still i'm just i get angry with the in and out burger thing because in and out burgers are so good but their french fries are like little pieces of yellow cardboard it's bad every time i've gone out to california i've never been able to find in and out it's not it hasn't been convenient enough to go by the airport which airport lax i haven't gone to la ah huh. see because that's the thing about that is it's really convenient until you're like a little bit close to maybe missing your flight and you really want that double-double animal-style burger and you're cutting it even closer and then that gets stressful and then you'll, you know, I just, I've been there. Do they have gluten-free buns? No, they put it on lettuce. Oh, lettuce wrap, wrap. okay. Yeah, lettuce wrap. You know, French fries also should be gluten-free. Some places get a little silly and they flour their French fries to crisp them up a little bit so they'll put a a batter on the French fries essentially or at least like Mm. a, a, a coating of flour on them and those places should be banished forever. So it makes me very sad when they do that. Um, all right. Sage. Oh, but I'll just say this, guys. You can t- if, if the French fries at a restaurant, if, if the French fries are hand cut and good, all of the food will be good. It's one of these things that, that is a marker for everything else. If you go to a place and the fries are really good, then if the fries taste like they were brought in by some big truck that just finished dropping off the fries at a prison somewhere... The food will not be very good because that, that's just that's just laziness on the part of the uh, of the food prep staff because it's not hard to make French. If you got a fryer, it's not hard to make French fries. And these all sports bars and stuff have fryers. So I get very. And the other thing is, Bruce Mark, the bathroom in a restaurant tells you all you need to know. Oh, yeah. If it's dirty, the food, the kitchen's probably just as dirty. Yep. The, the, the bathroom in a restaurant. I used to not really. I didn't want to believe this because there are some places I liked, maybe even some sushi joints where, you know, in the, in the East Village. Where the bathroom is kind of, eh, 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 the bathroom tells you everything. You walk into the bathroom of a restaurant, you know 
whether the staff is on their game, you know if the kitchen is clean, and so on and so forth. You know, because even in a night in a nice sports bar, you know, the bathroom will be will be orderly and clean. Yes. Yeah, it's true. It's true. All right. Uh, Sage, next up, listening to today's show, I just want to tell you that Hawaii has had a mandatory two-week quarantine for every visitor. Tourism has completely died here, and it is 95% of our economy. Went into effect in March, got extended once to September 1st. Looks like it's going to get extended again. Sage, I'm so sorry to hear that. Sage is one of my favorite spices. I think I, I don't know if I've ever said that before. I put sage, I will dice up sage and put it in eggs. Delicious. A little bit of uh, goat cheese. Magnifique. Uh... I'm so sorry to hear about the tourism situation in Hawaii. I love Hawaii. Terrible politics, beautiful place, great people. That's true of a lot of places in America. But Hawaii is a great state. So uh, thank you so much, Sage, for uh, letting us know what's going on out there. Just keep the faith. At least you got beautiful weather and beautiful stuff around you. And uh, we will. I I, I hate all this. We'll get through this together. But we really will, Sage. You're going to be able to write to me. Give it six months and things are going to start to feel like they're coming back. See, I said six months, not three, because I think it's going to take six. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, next up here, Joseph. Hey, Buck and producer Mark. I really enjoy uh, the light you're shining on the madness we're going through during these crazy and sometimes dark times. Has anyone ever done anything in the weekend at Bernie's idea where Bernie Sanders is carting around the Biden carcass, perhaps with shades and a mask and speaking for him? I would love to hear something done with that. Listen to both your shows. Not saying I listen completely listen every minute, but days when I run out of current show, I download the night show to Shields High, lock down the riots, free the economy. Joseph, thank you, man. Yeah, you could always listen to the WOR show as well if you want. So there's that opportunity, but you should always listen to this one first. Uh, cause I don't want producer Mark to uh, slap me the next time he sees me. So this is the this is the show you listen to first. If you feel like listening to the other show, which is a local show, you're by all means welcome to do so. And if you uh, can find it. Which, yeah, I mean, there's that, too. Um, but as for the weekend at Bernie's idea, I think people have talked about uh, the weekend. At, they've, they've spoken about this as the weekend at Bernie's campaign, in a sense, where they're just going to cart Biden around and pretend that he's something that he's not. So we've certainly heard a bit of that. Gina Hagen Buck, listen to you talk about the West Wing and American president. Wow. We were transfixed every week. It was great TV. But as you said, sanctimonious liberal drivel. I saw American president a couple years ago again, had to turn it off when the president stood at the podium saying, if we have to go door to door, we're going to get the guns. Sorkin. Ugh, shield side. Yeah. Sorkin is the classic smug, thinks he's much smarter than he is lib. So he had a great audience for a while because there are a lot of libs like that. You know, we're just going to take all the guns and then everything will be better. It's like these people don't even really live in America. Like they don't know anything about the country that they're writing about. But that's what we got. Um, next up here, Kelly. Hey, Buck, love your show. We couldn't do it without people like you. I'm so frustrated today. My husband and I found out our kids will be doing the 50 percent school hybrid model. Can I tell you how angry and frustrated we feel? We are being forced to do something that makes no sense. I think I'm on the brink of craziness. These educators are going to tell us to do. Uh, these educators are going to tell us what to do when we pay huge taxes in our town of Massachusetts. This model means our kids will only go to school two days and remote three days, uh, where I will have to take the time out and help my little one again. This all sucks. I just want to know what other parents are doing about this. Enough is enough. I would love to hear more about this in your show. Keep up the good work. 
Thank you for all you do, Kelly. Well, you know, Kelly, it's interesting because Chuck Schumer came out uh, came out earlier today and said, if we don't open up the schools, you're going to hurt the economy significantly. Democrats, I think they did some polling on this one. They're finding out mm, this whole school shutdown thing. People don't like it. The media can be as hysterical as they want, but people with kids want their kids in school. They don't like this. So we may see, fingers crossed, we may see a turning of the tide on this. I think it's absolutely possible. Jessica, hey, Buck, I heard you talking during roll call about Election Day being a national holiday. I get the point, but I disagree. We already have a ton of holidays that benefit only government workers, teachers and financial sector, a.k.a. Democrats. The rest of us have to work no matter what the day. Doctors, nurses, EMTs, restaurants, retail, basically every other human. A holiday doesn't mean we get the day off. I say that an in-person election time should run over the course of three days. This would give more people the opportunity to get there around their work schedule. We already pay the government workers enough money to take days off. Let's not add more. P.S. I'm self-employed and work seven days a week. Haven't had a day off since February 2015. I have no sympathy for people that can't get stuff done because of work. Just saying. Shields high. Oh, Jessica's fierce. I like it. Uh, Yeah, you're right about people not being able to take the day off, even if it's a federal holiday. So, correct. Uh, I got got to give you that one. As for making it over three days, I like that idea, but then the libs will say five days, and then they'll say 50 days, so just be prepared for that. Jason, Buck, it drives me crazy. She drives me crazy. Watching these politicians and Democrat media hacks act like they were the great leaders during this pandemic. I was at Disney and Universal the day the private sector stepped up and started shutting things down. Uh, It wasn't the government that made them shut down. It was voluntary action on behalf of private companies to protect their employees and customers. The NBA and the NHL kicked it off. Then restaurant owners, stores and malls followed. Only after all this did government step up and lock us down the rest of the way. Now that we have a better understanding of this virus, the very business that we were leading are being told, no, you can't reopen until your overlords give you permission what a shocker. Politicians lead from behind and don't want to give up their powers. Yeah, man, I hear you on that. Good, good perspective, Jason. Linda, aloha, Buck. You thought New York was bad. We live in Hawaii, total of 29 deaths. And our ultra leftist weak governor has the state in lockdown for a long time now. All incoming travelers are required to quarantine for 14 days alone in their hotel room or be subject to arrest. What? We have a friend who's here with her daughter who will be starting her freshman year at U of H, and they're in nine days of mandatory quarantine, losing their minds, not to mention spending a lot for two weeks in a hotel room. That's crazy. Hawaii, heart goes out to you. Uh, That's going to be it for the week, uh, friends. Thank you for being here. Talk to you on Monday.